Hello, I'm Trevor Dan, and this is the June edition of CAMS Politics. In the next hour, we'll try to make sense of what's going on at the Combined Authority. What's with all the resignations? Is the mayor a crook? Why is the former leader of Cambridge City Council now the deputy mayor? Well, super sleuth John Elworthy will be with us to explain all. And later in the programme, we'll take a ramble through the politics of Cambridge since the Second World War and see if it's true that the city has turned steadily left during the current Queen's reign. But first, hello to our analyst and commentator and blogger. Phil Rogers is here. Hello, Phil. Hello, Trevor. Let's start with revisiting the May elections. That was what we were talking about last time we were together. And pretty well all of your predictions came true, so well done. Um, What's been the fallout in the uh, subsequent month? Well, it was pretty much as expected. Labour held on in the city. The Lib Dems did very well in South Cams and extended their majority. Probably one of the more exciting aspects was Huntingdonshire, where the Conservatives lost control for the first time. And that sort of tipped the balance against them across the county as a whole. So the Combined Authority Board, uh, which has been having an interesting time of it lately, has has now no longer got a Conservative majority. And, And politically, that does matter for what happens across the county. We'll talk about the uh, combined authority and all the rest of it with John uh, in a little while. Just going back to the city council then, as you said, Labour held on. Does there look like there'll be any meaningful change in the direction of policy? Well, I think one of the things that's going to happen over the next few years in the City Council is that they're going to look very hard at how they deliver services and reorganising themselves for uh, doing that better in the future. And I think that may mean cuts in some areas. We have yet to see what's really going to happen. But if you're going to do something unpopular, then after you've won a large majority is a pretty good time to do it. And what about South Cams? Anything um, likely to change much? Well, the Lib Dems have really consolidated their grip. And politically, I think one of the most interesting things is what this means for the next general election when it comes, because they'll certainly be looking at the parliamentary seat with uh, great interest, having racked up such a large majority on the South Camps District Council. So if you were Anthony Brown, you might be a little more worried than you were a couple of years ago. I would definitely be quite concerned, yes. Okay. the other thing I wanted to just pick up with you before we talk uh, with John is this consultation about roads in Cambridge. Some of us have have seen the active map that's been published and we're frankly none the wiser. Can you encapsulate what these proposals are that are now out for consultation? Yes. So this is a consultation that's going on actually across the whole of the county at the moment, being run by the combined authority. And it's for something called the Local Transport and Connectivity Plan. So it's not just about transport it's also about networking and how people work from home and 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 stuff like that but in particular what it means potentially for the city is that we may see a bit of a reorganization of the road network so at the moment there's a lot of roads in Cambridge where you can you can travel around and get from one part of the city to another and the proposal that they're consulting on is to reduce the number of roads where people are actually uh, getting from one part of the city to another and make more roads just for local access so we'd see uh, Uh, more of the road closures that we have seen during the pandemic and the idea would be to sort of stop people rat running quite so much in in certain areas and also extend the pedestrianised area of the city centre a bit. So if um, you're bothered about this, you know, if you live off Hills Road or Mill Road or somewhere and you think, wait a minute, I want to get vehicle access to my house and you want to take part, therefore, in this consultation, what are you meant to do? Who's going to be listening to your view? 
Well, there is a website called yourltcp.co.uk, but if you just search... What? Say that again. Y-O-U-R-L-T-C-P, Local Transport and Connectivity Plan, .co.uk. But if you just go to the Combined Authority website, it's it's pretty prominently on there as well. I should stress... Under these plans, everybody would still have vehicle access to their house. It would just be that you might have to go a bit of a longer way round to get home. And I suppose it should, shouldn't it, be part of a grander, more complex strategy involving public transport. But is that being mentioned? Are we we being promised, for instance, more buses? Yes. I mean, the idea is very much to persuade people to get out of their cars and into active travel and onto the buses as well. We had a bit of a change of policy when Nick Johnson came in as Combined Authority Mayor and he he stopped the CAM Metro proposal that uh, his predecessor, James Palmer, had put forward. And this is basically now what the uh, successor plan is going to be for for transport in Cambridge and across the wider county. Thank you for now, Phil Rogers. Stay with us because we're going to talk about the combined authority after this, which is a hit again 40 years after it came out. It's Kate Bush on CAMS Politics. That's Kate Bush running up that hill. It's a hit all over again. This is Cam's Politics. I'm Trevor Dan. Phil Rogers is still with us, and I'm delighted to say that we can welcome the editor of Cam's Times, the Wisbeach Standard, the Ely Standard. He is the great investigative journalist, John Elworthy. Hello, John. Well, how can I live up to that? You can't. (laughs) Now, I've been looking at Twitter where Steve Tierney calls you a left-wing political activist and Councillor Steve Count accuses you of, quote, refusing to publish confidential information. And Frank Morris asks, why is a journalist working so hard to defend a politician? Now, this is all because some people are seeing you as a man who is part of Team Johnson in the sense of Team Nick Johnson. What is going on? up there is the mayor guilty of big crimes is he is there a cover-up what's uh, what's going on what are you finding let out just, let me just begin by stating that as i think i've got a fairly decent track record and i've always said never join a club that would have me as a member so politically i'm wherever the mood takes me it doesn't matter whether they're left right middle center or wherever they are And my political friends cross the entire spectrum. You know, when it comes to either supporting or not supporting whatever, it's what is the truth. You know, I I don't spend years into my otherwise, you know, happy retirement working, beavering away simply to make some sort of political point. So let's just try and unpick some of these things, John. They're all intermingled. But I want to start with, first of all, why did the mayor's strategic advisor, Nigel Pawley, quit? Well, you have to go back to last summer when they actually won. And you can remember at the count, if you watch the videos and the clips and the reporting of it, the surprise, the shock, the anger in some areas, you know, that this upstart doctor had somehow come from nowhere and politically, he had not got a track record in politics of, of any great substance and suddenly become the mayor of Cambridgeshire. And as the report makes clear next week, 
when they're talking about the remuneration of the mayor, you know, the independent remuneration panel of uh, the Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Combined Authority that's going to recommend them actually to get an increase next week, points out that, you know, it is the most important political post in the entire county. I don't think anybody would now disagree with that. So, therefore, suddenly from being a children's doctor, children's surgeon, and, you know, having stood in a local elections in, in, in St. Ives and, and, and Huntingdonshire, suddenly he is the mayor of Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Combined Authority. Now, you move on from that, you end up with what I would describe as a perfect storm, because you have an incoming, inexperienced mayor having to deal with policies that he'd set himself, people said, he hadn't got policies, but he had. He'd, he'd made them clear, but nobody had actually read them because he didn't think he was going to win. And he tried to be collegiate, tried to be, I suppose, all things to all people, naively believing that even appointing a Conservative council leader as his deputy was the right thing to do to try and you know, embrace this collegiate approach, turned out to be the worst thing possible that he could have done. So he moved into a combined authority where the incumbent mayor had expected to win, everybody had expected him to win, and he created turmoil primarily because his policies were so at odds, and the Labour Party's policy were so at odds with what had been you know, set up in the first tenure of office of the first mayor. And, and to give you an example, I mean, the housing policy of the incumbent mayor that was James Palmer was turned on its head. But the big thing that he turned on, on its head was the millions that we'd already spent and were committed to spending on the Cam Metro. And he said, don't like it, don't want it, not part of my policy. Let me bring and you so, back to my question, John. Why did his strategic advisor, Nigel Pawley, quit? Uh, he quit because he didn't have a lot of options, in my opinion, other than... Well, he could have stayed at Ford, but Nigel, as it's on the record and it's well documented, you know, had a, a particular family issue. His parents were uh, ill, his mother died, and he basically was a Fleet Street journalist who knew how to campaign, but then was placed in a position by Nick as strategic advisor. And instead of becoming what he probably should have become, which was a political advisor, not a strategic advisor, gave himself more centre stage room than what others thought he was entitled to. And therefore, he wasn't necessarily the right man in the right place at the right time to caution Nick, who was himself quite naive about politics and quite naive about the magnitude of the job that he'd been awarded. And so I think um, the trouble with Nigel was that he saw things that were wrong. He was angry and frustrated by all the things that he'd, he'd seen. But the way that you deal in local government with things that are wrong and the things that you want to put right, it's not necessarily the way that you know he'd been used to. OK, so I understand that. And I can see why his role would have been very difficult because it was a role he wasn't used to playing. What happened then with Eileen Milner, who had been appointed to be the chief executive of the combined authority and in a matter of weeks was applying for other jobs, two of which oh. she got in Bradford. What what happened? Did she take on a job that she couldn't do or was it different well, from what she'd applied for? You have to ask Eileen, but I think she took on a job to get her out of the, the job that she was in. Because don't forget, when she left the government, there is a strict procedure for applying for a job outside of the civil service. Now, she managed all of that. You know, whereas she was used to the trappings of 
Whitehall and, and all the rest of it, the combined authority, you know, doesn't have an office. It still is debating where it's going to be based. So it will be based, I think, now in Pathfinder House in Huntingtonshire. But all there was was a lot of people working from home. There was also, of course, you know, a small military office in Ely that James Palmer had elected to take for the mayor's office, not the combined authorities' office. And so it lacked cohesion, it lacked strategy, it lacked a joined-up approach. And so there were all sorts of problems. I call it the perfect storm. It was the perfect storm. And she came into it, and you have to actually go and ask Nick Johnson, but he'll probably tell you the same. He very rarely met Eileen Milner. They weren't living, you know, sort of in the same offices or the same block of buildings. And we were still in the end of COVID, so we still had everything done on Teams, and we're still on face-to-face. And the combined authority is still run remotely. So, you know, there was no opportunity to brush along each side each other and meet for coffee at break times and all the other things. And she was under a lot of pressure to get things right because things weren't right within the combined authority. And so people were coming at her from all different directions. And I don't think Nick Johnson, quite honestly, at that stage, he may, I think he's a different animal today, but it was that stage able politically, mentally and physically able to deal with the problems. Of- OK, now, what's surprising, I think, to a lot of people about this is that we've heard Nick Johnson on the radio and on television and he comes over, well, he would, wouldn't he? being a doctor with a, a very engaging kind of bedside manner about him. He's he comes over as a nice, genuine, gentle guy. And yet we've now got, you know, members of the Conservative Party saying that truly dreadful things have been done on his watch and accusing him of almost corruption and bullying. Um, uh, how can we have reached that stage? The corruption you can you, you can <clears throat> file in a drawer and and stick to one side because I mean people get saying oh, I think you've got why don't you publish all that you've been leaked John well if I publish everything I could leak you know, take, I've got I've got masses of masses of documents I've been through it and to be fair to Nick to be fair to the, his critics it's a case I believe of naivety on the part of Nick in terms of who he was willing to trust and, and 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 deal with. And there were a lot of people very anxious that he didn't succeed in his particular role. And they saw an opportunity quite recently of using a vote of confidence procedure to get rid of him. And he was able to gain advice as to how best to deal with that and how best to deal with it was to get rid of the problem before it caused the problem. And that was to remove... And John, this, this was all because of this credit card. Am I right? That... Well, I was going to say, the credit cards are a load of rubbish. I mean, there were eight credit cards at the, the combined authority, if anybody bought check. And, you know, nobody had checked them for the previous four years as to how, how he was monitoring them, who was going through them. They're all online. Go and have a look at all the credit card expenditure and, and tell me why they're now arguing over £3 spent on a pasty in, in St Ives or wherever it was. You well, know, the, the, reason, the reason why I raise this, John, is because I think it cuts to the root of local journalism as well as local politics because I'm looking at the moment at a, an article on the BBC Look East website and it says a taxpayer-funded payment card was used at hotels and to pay for purchases at a pasty company and a collagen-based superfood firm record show. And the clear implication of this is that Mayor Nick has had his fingers in the till. Why are the BBC running that story? 
because they've been briefed by the very people who briefed me and I choose to take a different version of the briefings that I've been given in the leak. You know, when I have people saying to me, why aren't you releasing all this leaked? We know you've got leaked documents and all the rest of it. Of course I've got leaked documents. I'm a really good journalist, but I'm also a responsible journalist that will take a balanced view, knowing the background. And the problem we have with journalism in, in, in today, and it's not just in Cambridgeshire, it's in many other areas where local journalists haven't got the full picture. And, and the reason why I spend hours into the night sometimes reading stuff is to be better informed and better able to make a judgment, which I did with Farmgate. Exactly. And, and I, now, you called the you just referred to these people as simply these people. You mean the Conservative Party, don't you? Yes, they don't mean the Conservative Party. They, they don't want Nick Johnson there. They will try to get rid of him under any pretense whatsoever. We're going to say he's been in the job for about six to nine months. I mean, the previous administration, for all his successes, and it did have a lot of successes, was also beset with a, a very dominant, strong leader in James Palmer. James knew how politics worked. And I think the problem is that Nick Johnson thought he knew how politics worked. And and he's had a pretty rude awakening uh, when the reality is that he's now discovering how it actually does work as to how he thought it might work with this, you know, the, the three C's of compassion and all the rest of it that he tried to bring to the table. And, you know, it's affected him. I know it has affected him badly. And I will say on the record and, and, and state my professional life on it, the man is not dishonest. And I've got enough evidence to show that what happened within the combined authority, there were a whole combination of factors, there were a whole combination of people wanting him to fail. And, and had he have failed at the first hurdle, and the first hurdle would have been a successful vote of no confidence or a vote of confidence that he would have lost. And, you know, he was advised how best to deal with that one. And of course, he's now through that first bit of the first hurdle and still more to come next week because the resume meeting on the vote of confidence is next week. OK, so John, hold it there. We're, we're on uh, Cambridge Politics for June. Uh, it's Trevor Dan here. Uh, we're talking to John Elworthy and we'll be back with John after this. It's the Beatles, of course, and John Lennon's song about Mia Farrow's sister. On Cam's Politics, John Elworthy from Cam's Times is our guest. We're talking about Mayor Nick Johnson. And I think what you're telling us, John, is that he's come up against some pretty powerful entrenched opposition which resented the fact that it wasn't in power anymore. Well, you could interpret it as that, but it's not just that. It's the way that politics works. And I think what Nick Johnson has discovered, it wasn't quite as smooth a transition from a Conservative mayor to a Labour mayor as he might have wished for. I mean, he turned the combined authority upside down and on its head. And, of course, when Eileen Milner came in as chief executive, you know, and the idea that somehow he didn't welcome her, I mean, I know from having spoken to Nick that he was working 60, 70 hours a week prior to her appointment as the chief executive, and because a lot of the decisions that she should have been making were coming onto his desk, and he wanted to go out and become the strategist, the, the leader of a combined authority that could actually make a difference. 
rather than deal with what a chief executive would have to deal with. And so when I see these comments from a whistleblower to say, you know, that both in the Nigel Pawley and her, and this is on one of the whistleblower complaints, is that they said we can deal without a chief executive. That is absolutely categorically the last thing that Nick Johnson would have wanted or, or needed. I mean, he led the effort to get a new chief executive as fast as possible. So coming so, more up to date, I want to move on to the end of May, where we have this deputy mayor, a Tory, Wayne Fitzgerald, he is ousted after the failure of this vote of confidence. Don't forget, Nick's a member of the Labour Party. The Labour Party was saying to Nick, the national executive of the Labour Party was telling Nick, you cannot have a Conservative deputy mayor. Nick had a Conservative deputy mayor because he happened to be the leader of Peterborough City Council and Nick wanted to be more collegiate and bring everybody together and all the other stuff. And Nick's finally found that it doesn't work like that. So So why has he chosen Lewis Herbert, the former leader of the Cambridge City Council? Because he's got a, he needed a, a, a Labour deputy mayor because that's what national executive of the Labour Party not insisted upon but recommended pretty darn strongly that he had. And to be honest with you, many people would say that Lewis is going to be a substantial influence because what Nick lacked is what I think Lewis will give him, which is the political now how to deal with the current situation. And I would suspect behind the scenes, and I have no privileged information on all this, but I suspect behind the scenes, Lewis is going to be a very strong, firm arm around the mayor and we'll get him through this. This one will run and run, won't it, John? Just before I let you go, we've also had in the past two or three days the last knockings of Farmgate and the uh, we don't need to go over the whole story again, but have we found out anything that we didn't know with the final publication of the report? Honestly, Trevor, <laughs> I haven't even read the report yet. <laughs> I did read it with the unredacted version, which I was leaked ages and ages ago. And do you know what? I, I haven't got the enthusiasm to go through. We know what happened. We know it was a, a really bad time in politics. And at some point this weekend, I may get round to reading it, and I, I probably ought to get round to reading it, but I, I haven't read it. We know what happened. And, you know, best put that behind us. I mean, there's no way that we can retract that period in Cambridgeshire political history. It was an unsavoury moment. And uh, I think some people, to be honest with you, would prefer that we concentrated more on Nick than trying to demolish the mayor of Cambridgeshire rather than to reflect on Farmgate. And who knows? They may well be be right. I mean, I, I don't think Nick, by the way, at the end of this, I don't think Nick's out of the woods by a long chalk yet. But I do think he's recovered some of his resilience and uh, I think that there are forces at work that will see him through it and uh, he will have learned some very very hard and personally hard lessons because you know I know having spoken to Nick that this has affected him deeply and has hurt him and wounded him I have no knowledge of what the combined authority board will ultimately decide but as you say, you know, we've got some time to go. Well, thank you very much indeed, John. And I should say that we did ask Nick Johnson to come on the show and he said he wouldn't mind in normal circumstances, but there were a couple of meetings he wanted to get out the way first. And I think we know what they <laughs> are. As well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much indeed, John. Yeah, Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Phil Rogers is still with us. Phil, you've been uh, keeping across this story as well. What comes out of it for you? 
Well, John certainly got his own uh, opinions on, on what's going on, and he's, he's always very forthright about them. So I do think there is still a lot more to come on this story, and there's an investigation going on, and there's proper procedures. It's not just a few quid for a pasty, it has to be said. You can go to the Combined Authority website, and if you rummage quite a lot, you can find all the uh, transactions that are being questioned. And they do include, for example, £2,159.50 to a hotel in Brighton for the Labour Party conference, and there will be questions about whether that's the correct use of of government spending cards. But really, the political balance has shifted that bit in Nick Johnson's favour, and that will certainly help him as time goes on. However, he must be looking over his shoulder thinking, I'm a one-term mayor, because the new rules that have been voted in by the government means that that whole transferable vote thing won't happen next time. That's right. He just got in on transfers from, from Lib Dem voters supporting him as their second choice, and the voting system has now been changed back to first past the post which really strongly favours the Conservatives unless the other parties can get together and decide to run a single candidate and that's a, a very big if. On Cam's politics next we're going to talk about the history of party politics in Cambridge. But this seems an appropriate time to play this old tune. Oh, those naughty sex pistols. They're not as naughty sounding now, Phil, are they? <laughs> no, it was pretty revolutionary at the time, but it's uh, it's just kind of bouncy cheerfulness these days. Well, it felt right for the Platinum Jubilee. So, um, Phil, I asked you if you could come up with some charts and some evidence to help back up this feeling that we've had. We've talked about this several times since we've been together on this show, the whole idea of Cambridge being a bit of a left-wing town. And when you look at the City Council, you see there's no Tory members at all. You would say, well, that's about right. But as you always say to me, it's not very long ago. It was very much a Tory town. So I said to you, well, let's look at Cambridge elections since the war. And just so people don't think we don't know, of course, there was a University of Cambridge seat which had two members but was abolished uh, in 1948. So we'll forget about that. But starting in 1945, we have a Labour winner because there was a Labour winner almost everywhere, wasn't there, in 1945. After that, nothing much until 1992. Yes, that's right. It was very much a Conservative seat during that period, with the occasional Labour victory when there was a national landslide. So way back in 1945, Churchill has just led the nation to victory, and a a grateful nation boots him out and gets Labour in instead. And Leslie Simmons became the first Labour MP for Cambridge, and uh, he was actually only 34 when he was elected, and he'd he'd fought in the war, but he was just a one-term MP, and uh, he he lost the seat in, in 1950 when the Conservatives got it back again. And then, of course, throughout the 50s and up till 1966 and Harold Wilson's second victory, it's absolutely a Tory stronghold, isn't it? Why do you think that is? Is it because the Labour Party was then perceived by people who live here to be a bit flat cap, a bit unions and strikes and the North? 
I think in many areas of town it was just a sort of naturally quite conservative uh, electorate. In, in fact, if you look at the pattern of the, the local election results, there are certain parts of town, particularly Romsey, also Abbey, to some extent East Chesterton, where Labour managed to get a reasonable number of councillors elected. But it's a wall of blue across most of the rest of the city, and, and that really told in the uh, MP results as well. So so we the next MP from the 50s was Hamilton Kerr, who was born actually to American parents. His, his mother was a sort of American heiress who, who married into British aristocracy. And uh, he, he was MP in 1950, 51, 55, 59 and 64. So he, he really held on for, for quite a long time. And uh, it wasn't until 1966 we get the second Labour MP, who was Robert Davis. And uh, he'd actually took three goes to get in. And there was another Labour landslide that year. And uh, he, he was fairly left wing, but actually only lasted 15 months in office before he unfortunately died of a heart attack at 49. So do you think then that throughout the years you've just discussed that Cambridge was a kind of blue wall seat? Because it wasn't a town entirely full of middle class Tory voters, was it? I mean, you know, what about all the people who, you know, ran the laboratories and made the beds and and the manufacturing industries and all the rest of it? Do you think that people who we might now think of as being uh, left of centre were actually kind of Tories? I think there was a certain amount of working class conservative support yeah. as well, particularly in places like Cherry Hinton, you do see the uh, the results coming through. And Cherry Hinton has always in Cambridge been the part of the city that's kind of most like the rest of the country. If you like, Cambridge is exceptional in many ways, but Cherry Hinton is sort of a little little island of uh, sort of English normality, <laughs> if, you, if, if you like. And why is Red Romsey called... Red Romsey, and where does that date back to? Well, it was it was always the saying that Romsey had voted Labour since the Russian Revolution in <laughs> 1918, though the Lib Dems did actually succeed in getting a number of councillors elected during the Blair-Brown years. But uh, until then, it had been very solid Labour, and now again, it's very solid Labour once more. So you got us as far as Robert Davis, who wins with a landslide, but then is out in a by-election within a year or two. What happened then? Yes, well, uh, after his, his unfortunate death, then David Lane comes in for the Conservatives, and he actually wins pretty comfortably in, in 1967. And there was there was a quite amusing election poster that the Conservatives put up on the uh, approaches to Cambridge. So as you were driving into Cambridge, you saw you saw this sign saying "Get in Lane," meaning "Please elect our man." Oh, and then oh, oh. then when he stood again the next time, the the poster said "Keep in Lane." Hey, zip up my side. So uh, yeah, it's a good standard of of banter in those days. And wasn't he? connected to the Commission for Racial Equality. That's right, yes. He he came in in the by-election and he won again in 1970 and twice in 1974, but then he was actually asked to be the first director, in fact, of the Commission for Racial Equality, which was being set up around that time. So then we had another by-election in 1976, and this is where Robert Rhodes-James enters the picture. And he was there for a long time. Yes, that's right. He started off as a clerk of the House of Commons, so he's one of the people that you kind of see sitting in front of the Speaker with the wigs on, doing all the administration and, and so forth. And it's actually quite rare to go from that position to being an MP, but he, he was one of the people who did it. And he was also a very noted historian and, and biographer. He was quite on the what Mrs Thatcher used to call the wet wing of the party, so, so he never advanced his career very much. But uh, yes, he, he actually won in the 
the by-election and then and then three more times as the sort of the rise of the SDP started in, well, in the 80s. Well, didn't uh, Shirley Williams stand in Cambridge? That's right, yes. That was in 1987. That's actually the first time I voted in Cambridge. And she was one of the gang of four who'd set up the SDP and broken away from Labour. But nevertheless, Robert Rose James still got back in by 5,000 votes and uh, beat her fairly comfortably. So it took a, a little a little longer for the uh, third party breakthrough that we that we saw in the twenties well, and the two thousands. So after that, we get to nineteen ninety two. Not a watershed year in British politics, but looking back at it in Cambridge, it's a real watershed year because from nineteen ninety two onwards, the Conservatives, who've been the dominant party since the war, never get elected again. Yes, so in, in 1992, obviously, it's the, the tail end of the, the major years. John Major holds on rather against expectations. But here in Cambridge, Anne Campbell wins it for just the third time for the Labour Party and only by 580 votes ahead of the Conservative. And she's, she's the first female MP for Cambridge. And uh, she holds on again in 97 in the Labour landslide. She gets a, a massive majority then. And uh, she wins fairly comfortably again in 2001. So is that the point? I mean, when you look at the graphs, you'd say that is absolutely the point where the Conservative Party begins its very steady decline. Is that the point where demography takes over and Cambridge starts to feel like a different place? Yes, you do really start to see the demographic change coming in there. And that's definitely when I think you would date the sort of the left wing shift of the city. And um, the Conservatives do manage to come second again in 2010, but only by a whisker. And after that, they're really sort of down into a very solid third place. And and the Greens are starting to look up at them and uh, wonder if they might not push them into fourth. And of course, Anne Campbell was defeated by the first Lib Dem, 2005. Yes, that was when David Howarth became the first Lib Dem MP. So the, there had been a previous Liberal MP, but you have to go back way back to 1906 for, for him to be elected. That was Stanley Buckmaster. And David was a sort of legal academic, and he'd led also the, the city council. He'd been a city councillor in Castle for, for many years, and then uh, leader of the council from May 2000. He's now Professor of Law and Public Policy. He decided just to serve the one term, and he stood down. And then Julian Huppert won in... 2010 and he actually increased the majority that was the first election that Daniel Zeichner had stood for Labour in but he actually took third place narrowly losing out to uh, Nick Hillman of the Conservatives that was actually the last time the Conservatives came second but um, Julian was only 31 when he was elected he was a research biochemist and he'd previously been a a city councillor in in East Chesterton and he just had the one term as well until he lost in 2015 post-coalition. Since then, of course, Daniel Zeichner has won three elections for Labour and, as we'll see, his party has also dominated the City Council. More weapons-grade sophology with Phil Rogers after McFly on Cambridge 105 Radio. It's all about you. That's McFly on Cam's politics. We've been discussing trends in parliamentary elections. Uh, Phil Rogers, you've got a fantastic graph here. Which, honestly, if this was the turnover of your business, you'd, <laughs> you wouldn't be happy, would you, if you were the conservative blue line? I've got it in front of me here from 1973. 
And the Labour Party was doing pretty well. It went down a bit, up a bit, but it's been kind of roughly level and it's back up to where it was. Liberal Party, very low, up a bit, up a bit, very high, down a lot. But it's the, the big story is the blue line. Just it's, it's a straightforward line on a graph from top to bottom, isn't it? Yes, that's right. I, I should credit Colin Rosenstiel, who originally put this graph together, which is on his website, which tells you all you could possibly want to know about Cambridge elections. And it really shows the effect of being in government on your local council base. And we see the Conservatives from, from when Mrs Thatcher came in, the number of Conservative city councillors really sort of faded away until 1997. And then there's just kind of a few of them and they really never get back in. But uh, Labour and, and the Liberals do go up during this period. And then when Labour get in in 97, that's when Labour start fading in in local government and uh, and the Lib Dems really rise to their peak until they finally go into government themselves in 2010 and the coalition again has a dramatic effect on uh, on their fortunes and now we're in a situation where Labour have really got a very solid grip on the city. How would you characterise the task that the Conservative Party has to rebuild its credibility in Cambridge? Well, it's really quite hard to see a road back for them. They are now quite solidly the fourth party of Cambridge politics. It's the Greens who are on the rise a bit, at least, in the last couple of elections. If I were them, I would focus on one particular ward and try and win some councillors in that. But it's really quite hard to see where that ward might be at the moment. And locally, the Conservatives are much more concerned about what's happening in South Cambridgeshire and South East Cambridgeshire and holding on to those seats. And of course, nationally, there's a lot of talk now about the so-called progressive alliance, you know, and should Labour stand down when the Liberal Democrats can beat the Tories and the other way round? We saw, although they didn't own up to it, a little bit of that in South Cams, I think. Do you think there's a head of steam towards that kind of anti-Tory party? This is going to be a really crucial factor at the next general election. And we do have a couple of by-elections coming up, one where the Lib Dems have got a good chance, one where Labour have got a good chance. And I'm sure we will see a certainly a, a decreased emphasis on campaigning in, in the seat where they're less favoured in order to uh, try and beat the Tories. So I do think this is going to play a, a big role. But there's still going to be places like Cambridge where Labour and the Lib Dems are going to be pretty much battling it out between themselves for who's on top. Fascinating stuff as ever. Phil Rogers, thank you so much for helping us understand the story of Cambridge politics. I always put on the running order for this programme as though I'm writing an agenda. I always put AOB uh, and I do that because I think you'll say when we finish, oh I didn't mention so and so. So is there anything else you'd like to bring to the table? <laughs> Well, I suppose the other thing to look at is what's happened to the county council over that time. And that's also very important for, for what happens in Cambridge. And, and for many years, we had a situation where Cambridge was electing basically Labour and Lib Dem councillors. And the county council had a conservative majority, thanks to the rest of the county. And, and that was imposing a lot of policies on the city that people locally just hadn't voted for. But now we've got this situation where we've got uh, a sort of anti-conservative alliance running the council and uh, things potentially may turn out very different. Thank you very much indeed then. Cheers, Phil. We'll see you for the July edition, um, whenever that is. Look. Or indeed whether there is one, who knows. Uh, this has been Cam's Politics. It's been a TDC production for Cambridge 105 Radio. I've been Trevor Dan and here is a little more music to take us to the news. Oh,